As a global leader in equine health, Boehringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boehringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting bi-vetmedica.com. Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AEP Practice Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Pownall, and we are continuing of our series of what makes equine practice so great. Why do we love being equine vets? This conversation started, oh, earlier this year, pre-COVID times, when uh, a colleague of ours, Dr. Lisa Kivett, posted on uh, her Facebook page about how she went and talked at her alma mater. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden she's like, we got to start talking about how great equine practice is. There's fewer and fewer people going into equine practice. A lot of people are scared off. And a lot of the reasons why they're scared off are based not in reality. So it's up to us who are in practice to talk about how great it is. So uh, we got an amazing transoceanic awesome panel today. I'm going to start furthest away and I'm going to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Elizabeth Wolsey Herbert from Australia. Welcome. Hi, Mike. And then I am, I think I'm geographically okay. We're going to cross the Pacific and in Southern California, we have Dr. Kathy Lynn. Hi. And we'll just go over to the Rockies and Dr. Stacy Witten in Colorado. Hi, Mike. And then we're joined by a friend of the podcast, Dr. B.B. Freer from North Carolina. Welcome back, B.B. Oh, thank you. Hello. And then we have a, a student, a fourth-year student, which is really exciting, uh, soon to be Dr. Lily Bechtel, who's at Cornell, and I believe you're uh, heading off to Reno when you graduate. So I am. Um, I will be there uh, 2021 to 2022 intern over at Comstock Equine Hospital in Reno, Nevada. And Excellent. Hi. Really looking forward to getting the student perspective. So Go back in the same order again, just to hear a little bit about each other, introduce yourself. So Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I'm a 1984 grad from Auburn University, War Eagle, and I have been in practice uh, since then. I started in a mixed practice, but I quickly switched to equine. My dad was a practicing equine veterinarian, and I also worked at three veterinary schools before I got into veterinary school itself. And so... I've been in the industry probably since 1973 officially, right. uh, but I also worked for my dad for many years. So I've been doing it a long time. I lived in uh, Santa Rosa, California, met an Australian, moved there and started my own practice in Australia. And I've had a kind of a general equine first opinion kind of a practice, although I do quite a bit of hospitalization, some surgeries, and I just do general stuff. I'm going to retire this year and I have loved every minute of it. Wonderful. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting because for your experience, we have a new vet on the panel, so that's going to be really exciting. Kathy, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm a 2007 grad from Western University. I was part of their first 
graduating class. So that was pretty interesting. I did an equine internship up at Alamo Pintado in uh, the central coast of California. And then I practiced at an equine only practice for a year and a half. That brought us into the Great Recession, whereupon I lost my job. And so I started doing small animal medicine because I had teched so much in emergency clinics before vet school. But that actually worked out because it it really helps pay the bills. So what I do now is I split my time between small animal emergency clinic work and I do equine practice. I do a lot of acupuncture and chiropractic and some repro. So it's a, a really nice balance that I have going on right now. Interesting. That's great. Stacy, tell us about yourself. I am a 2015 graduate from the University of Illinois. However, I am a Colorado native. So I actually ran away to Illinois for vet school and then did a private practice internship at Equine Medical Center of Ocala down in Florida. And then luckily, pretty much the job I wanted in the location I wanted opened immediately during my internship. So I am part of a group practice back in Colorado. Got to move home. My mom actually lives closer to the clinic than I do. (laughs) And work in an all equine, primarily ambulatory practice, but we do have a clinic and hospitalized medical stuff and have a OR and bring in a surgeon, ironically, the one from Comstock, Lily. Um, (laughs) Oh, and uh, bring in a surgeon intermittently. Thank you. And uh, let's move over. Uh, BB, welcome back again. Tell us about yourself. Thank you. Born and raised in North Carolina. My uh, parents told me the first word I ever said was horse, but that's not what it says in my baby book. My college degree was in forestry, so I took a little circuitous route to veterinary school. I didn't start veterinary school until five years after graduating from college. I worked at a mixed animal practice in Apex, North Carolina, before, during, and after veterinary school, and Two years after graduating, I moved to Tryon, North Carolina, started my own ambulatory equine practice, grew it into a mixed animal surgical referral facility, and then (laughs) left it because it was about to kill me (laughs) and uh, did solo practice for 11 years. And now I have a business partner who's a 2011 grad and a associate that's a 2017 grad. So very lucky to have some good uh, associates and an exit strategy. Good for you. Great, great, great. And if I may share, when I sit there, when the days are tough and I look at some of uh, BB's Facebook posts and everybody's playing music on the porch, I was like, I want that life. Uh, (laughs) Well, thanks. That's kind of come up later. (laughs) I'm often very jealous. I'm like, that looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> and then finally, Lily, tell us about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, I my path to, to equine medicine is sort of convoluted. Um, I've always been the prototypical horse girl, right? And grew up doing the, the horse shows and the hunter jumper land and everything and grew up in the South in Georgia and uh, swore up and downtown that I was going to be a sports medicine vet and that's all I wanted to do. And that was it. And then somehow I ended up in photography school, (laughs) um, which is about the furthest thing from medicine that you can get. And I think I did that on purpose, probably because I was 17 and, and wanted to be a rebel and graduated with a degree in advertising, public relations. And I hated it. I just hated it. Worked in the industry for a little bit, got married and 
looked at my husband one day and I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I left my job and started doing the prereqs to go back to school, entered Cornell Bet in 2017. And here I am, and I'll be graduating this year. Uh, as far as equine medicine, I, I changed my mind about 15 times in that first month or so getting into vet school. Um, but our first in-person equine lab, I, I really didn't, I wanted to try and stay away from horses because I thought I don't want to taint something I love with making it my job. I'm afraid that it'll become a chore and I don't want to ruin it. But the first time I put my hand on a horse at school, I was just totally sunk. And I was like, okay, great. Now I have to do this for the rest of my life. I can't do anything else. Oh boy. So that's me. And and I graduate in May and I'm excited. I'm really excited. That is wonderful. Well, thank you all for joining. So uh, first question I want to ask, and I think it's the obvious question, and we'll start with you, Elizabeth, is what makes equine practice so satisfying to you? Yes, you're on the cusp of retiring, but you've been doing this for a while. And, and I'm, I'm saying that with a nod of the hat. So what makes it so satisfying to you? I've loved most aspects. I like my clients. Uh, when I practice in California, my clients were a little bit on the demanding side. And I did get slightly burnt out. But when I moved to Australia, I moved to kind of a low rent area. And I, I just love the clients. Uh, the animals here are very, they're mostly housed outside. So they're not as fractious. The kids here learn pony club and they learn horse handling early. So by the time you're dealing with adults, they're pretty, pretty good horse people. But every day I go out and there's something, a puzzle. And I love solving puzzles. I love, you know, can I get this mare in full? Can I figure out why this horse is lame? I just love solving puzzles. And I've had some pretty interesting puzzles over the years. I've had some poisonous plants that nobody's ever written up about. I've had mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of things that are just really super interesting. I I draw from as, as much as eight hours away because I'm on the edge of civilization. So I see the weird and wonderful and I still love it. I'm just getting old and I'm afraid I might get hurt because I think my reaction time is slow. Right. So other than that, I, I have really enjoyed it. Now, I've, I've found a new passion. I love to write. But guess what I'm writing about? Women equine vets. <laughs> so, Wonderful. And I'm drawing on my experiences to write these stories that I'm writing. So I can't say enough good things about what I've done and, and what I'm still doing as of, and, you know, for a few more months. Wonderful. And BB yourself, what makes equine practice so satisfying to you? I think uh, what makes it satisfying for me is uh, horses are my passion. I live to love them. And my clients, 99.9% of them are the same. And so you feel this connection with someone just the minute you walk on their farm. And I do mostly ambulatory. People do haul in their broodmares here or for some lamenesses here at my farm, but most of mine is ambulatory. And I love just driving around the community, seeing people's property and farm and how their horses are housed. And it just feels so personal. And once you establish that relationship with your clients and you know where they live and how their farm works, uh, I just think there's more of a connection there. Right. Connection. Sure. And how about yourself, Kathy? 
Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you, Vivi. Like a lot of my clients um, have become friends, you know, and I, I just love the the contrast between my small animal work, which is all indoors, you know, and on my equine days, I get up and, you know, I'm out and it's beautiful and um, it's it, this you're connected more with the seasons because you have like show season, you have breeding season. And I'm also a horse lover from way back. So it just makes me feel like more complete as opposed to just, you know, staying in a room all day and seeing different animals come through. It's a lot more uh, of a, an organic kind of flow to the day. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, and you know, it's funny as we're talking, I'm just, uh, this is the third of the series that we've recorded in this, this theme of relationship and, and, and connection with clients, but getting to drive around and just see how beautiful the countryside is, is just one yes. of the big attractions. And Stacy, what about yourself? What makes equine practice just what you want to do? Well, I can't disagree with everything that everybody else has already said. <laughs> that is a huge part of it. I think one of the big things for me is that you think you know what you want to do. And then you end up with like, Elizabeth said another puzzle and you end up kind of going down a different route and your practice changes all the time. I have always done a lot of sports med and grew up in the hunter jumper and dressage for, and was used to sport horses. But my favorite thing to do is to go to my big rescue every Friday. I love going there. I see shit that I, sorry about that. <laughs> I see stuff We're all adults. <laughs> that I, Speak to yourself. And usually it's all about practicing and it's okay. What diagnostics can I have? Cause I can't have very many, Mm -hmm. you know, and actually like really practicing medicine and thinking it through and being puzzled and watching these horses that essentially came in most, almost all of them come in because they were seized from on court seizure and they were body condition score ones and they weren't handled and they were feral and you see them adopted out and gorgeous animals and happy. And it's a cool thing to watch have happen and to be a part of it. My Friday morning and it makes all of the week worth it. That's that's special. Yeah. Yeah. The next question is, I think the sort of the great follow-up question and we'll continue with you, uh, Stacy is like, when did you know you made the right career choice? You know, you start in practice and, and, you know, as much as we love the challenges now, when you're a young vet new out of school and, and uh, sometimes these, these challenges can be overwhelming and are, as Elizabeth said, clients can be demanding. So when did you know that I don't care about anything else? This is what I wanted to do. I'm a little bit like Lily and um, I think somebody else on here too, that I took the circuitous route to vet school. My dad was an engineer. My brother is one. I thought that was going to be a good idea. It was not. So I actually think that I kind of stumbled on it in vet school, but mostly because I had taken so long to make the decision that vet school was the right thing to do in the first place. Um, I, I was lucky. I had a big research project in a small animal criticalist lab and knew more about the coagulation cascade on the planet and went and helped with an endurance race one Saturday during that summer. And there was a couple murmurs and a couple arrhythmias. And I was like, Nope, what am I thinking? I know what I want to do. I'm going to be poor the rest of my life, but I was going to be that regardless of what kind of veterinarian I'm going to be. That doesn't matter. It's this, it's these animals. It's this, this thing. Yeah, I think we all have those sort of those eureka moments almost. And Kathy, I'm interested in, in hearing from you. 
you do the companion animal and you do equine, but uh, you know, a lot of people may be listening to this and go, Hey, doesn't companion animals a little bit easier, less hours, less emergencies, but for some reason you're sticking with the horses. Why is that? Well, I, I think it's just because I've always been a horse person and this is what I wanted to do. And it, it was really distressing to me to lose my job during the, the recession, but the good part of it is like for a while I felt, well, I'm not really a horse vet if I'm not seeing very many horses, but uh, some of my former clients came forward and then I started doing acupuncture and I'm like, Hey, I could do this on horses. Mm-hmm. And so as I got into that, you know, I, and I could do it on small animals and large animals, I just always wanted to do the horses. But the great thing about equine practice that I'm finding is that you can have, like I do, I have a micro practice. Okay. So like, it's just me and sometimes the tech and you can do whatever you want. I mean, I used to think that you had to work at a big uh, hospital, you know, or uh, work with other multiple ambulatory vets, but it's really anything that you want to make it. And it's that flexibility that I love so much about it. So I can work like if, if things are really busy, like in COVID, it's been just really kind of grinding working at small animal stuff, but I can like put that aside and go out and deal with the horses and see my clients and, you know, I'm back in my happy place. So that's wonderful. So, uh, yeah. And how about yourself, Elizabeth? When, when did you know that? Yes, this is the right choice for me. Well, you know, it was probably always going to be that I worked at the, in between sessions at Auburn and I made myself do small animals so I could make sure that I was making the right choice. And I did go in to a mixed practice but I actually found the small animals too agonizing for me. My first few weeks out of school, I had a dog with tetanus. Another vet had spayed it and it rubbed itself in the manure oh. out in this very rural area that I was practicing in, in Northern California. I got tetanus and I was working locomine or working for him for the weekend. It was 4th of July and the dog I kept that dog alive for three days, but he finally died on the fourth day. And I couldn't even call the owners. I was so upset. And I found I was just so emotionally involved, especially with older people's dogs. And so I thought, I'm going to kill myself if I keep doing this. And uh, so I went back to just straight horses and I went to work for my dad, of course. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. And I was so used to it. It was great. I loved it. Great. And, and finally, Bibi, when did you know that, yes, this is, I have meant to be an equine vet? I, uh, like somebody else here, took the circuitous route, and I had had a forestry degree, worked for the Forest Service, and then decided I wanted to gallop racehorses in California. I went out and galloped for Charlie Winningham, came home. Cool. Was still, yeah, yeah, it was I'm cool. impressed. <laughs> I came home and was working for Biltmore estate vineyards and my aunt told my mother BB needs to be a vet assistant so I went to apply for a job as a vet assistant and the guy was so insulting you know made me like do some simple arithmetic and put a jumbled up sentence together grammatically correct and spell veterinarian (laughs) and uh, I came home and called my mother and said there's only two things different between me and that guy he went to vet school and I didn't, and I'm a lot smarter than he is. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but the equine part was a no, 
no-brainer because, like I said, I just always had the horse disease uh, since a child. But I think the, the day the punctuation was put on the sentence that I had made the right choice in equine uh, was when I moved here to Polk County and was, was welcomed into this. This is just an incredible equestrian community with a history. The United States equestrian team trained here in the 50s. And there's all this history, tons of fox hunts and active carriage club. And I was just welcomed. There was no question from the beginning, but it was definitely solidified when I moved here. And I would say, as you know, just thinking of that in your stories there, and I'm, I'm not going to name names, that community in the horse world is so small. And I've, I've a, an old friend, I went, you know, I've known him for about 20 years, uh, plus 20 years, and they moved to to try on where, where BB is. And and I know that they're they're clients of yours. And I just like this community is so small and it is such a great community. That's one of the things that I find so attractive. It is beautiful here, yeah. Yeah. So, Lily, I've got to ask you because you know, what I asked the question, sort of submitted the questions in advance, so everybody sort of could prepare for this. But I hear so many questions. We have students that visit our practice. I encountered it when I was in vet school, and I'm like you all. I was a circuitous route, so I was a an older student when I graduated. But I had so many people in my university say, "Don't go into equine. <laughs> Clients are crazy." <laughs> The hours yeah, are nuts. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and and so I am asking you as a current student, is that still around? Uh, anybody else has any kind of experiences? I'd love to hear that too. Absolutely. So prior to applying to vet school, I was sort of encouraged to ride with, you know, different kinds of vets and shadow at hospitals and just see what it's about, what the daily life is like. And I remember I was in a truck with a mixed practice that he spent half the, uh, his time uh, with small animals in his clinic. And then the rest of the time he was an ambulatory veterinarian. He saw cats and dogs, but he also did large animals, just all kinds of large animals. And uh, he and I were going to a property to look at a, a dog and give some vaccines. And we kind of passed an equine veterinarian that is local to the area that he knows very well. Um, they went to school together. And she was just on her way out and we stopped to chat and he's like, you know, we're back in the truck and he says, oh, that's uh, Dr. Sarah and she's this horse vet. And I think she's insane. I think she's totally crazy. No one, I can't believe she would want to do that for a living, but she's like, Lily, if you ever try and do equine medicine, be sure that you can't do anything else with your life. That, that is the one thing you can do because Dr. Sarah God bless her, can't do anything else with her life except for horse medicine. And she loves it and she is so good at it. So you got to love it. And at the time I'm thinking to myself, like, well, that's pretty rough. Like, but you know, something of that 17 year old who went to photography school remained in me, I think. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slowly, as you kind of hear more and more, um, as you get closer and closer to vet school. And when I started telling people I I wanted to be an equine vet, Uh, you get met with a lot of like quizzical look. But I think there's also the stigma about becoming a veterinarian now. It's not just equine vets. It's it's everything. It's going to vet school at all. I was told repeatedly, don't go to vet school, don't go to vet school, anything else with your time. But as much as it's 
been told to me to, to not do this with my life. When I go looking for people who have the opposite experience, I find them in spades. I've found no shortage of people who told me I'm so satisfied with my life. I would never have done anything different. And frankly, when I walked in and put my hand on the horse that day, I understood why Dr. Sarah couldn't do anything else with her life. I'm miserable with some small animal things, but I am wonderful in the large animal clinic and I'm very happy there. And when people ask me what I want to be now, I say, I want to be happy. And this is a path that I have found has never steered me wrong. Um, The more I go down it, the more doors seem to open. And I think that's really beautiful. And maybe that's, you know, romanticizing it a little because I'm uh, at the beginning of my career, but it's exciting. And I want to be excited about my life. That's wonderful. Did anybody else have anybody say, don't be an equine vet? Why do you want to do that? The person who was our student AAEP person, like the whole way through, she she tracked equine. She was in charge of all of the, the meetings that we had and the wet labs and everything that AAEP helped us with. The second she graduated, she went to small animal. And I was mm-hmm. like, what, what are you wow. doing? And, and she's just, <laughs> she's like, well, I, I want to have time to ride my horse. Mm. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, if I'm a small animal, then I'll, be, I'll have time to ride my horse. And, you know, to this day, she, she owns her own practice. She's a small animal and she's very active with um, her horses. She's a dressage rider. But, you know, I, I never really understood that kind of thing. And, you know, uh, of course, earlier on, there were people saying, don't do it, don't do it. I had a couple of really good professor mentors that were like, go ahead, you can do it. And I'm like, you might. I was older when I went um, back to vet school and, you know, it was just, and, I, and then I did an internship and I'm like this old intern and stuff, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think Lily, you have the, the right idea. You know, you want to be excited about your life. You want to, you know, be, be happy. So good for you. Wonderful. And baby, what were you going to say? Oh, you'll probably edit this out, but I'm going to torture you all with it anyway. The only (laughs) person who told me not to do equine was uh, my best friend from college. Her mother was from Belgium and lived through World War II, of course. And, And she told me, you know, I weighed 110 pounds soaking wet. And she said, you're too small to work on horses. And, and it, it was in the day of the movie um, Walking Tall. I don't know if y'all remember that one. Uh, Buford Pusser, yeah. he was a sheriff. What he said was, I walk softly and carry a big stick. And <laughs> so I, I told uh, Toon's mo- my friend's mother, I said, I'm just going to walk softly and carry a big bottle of romp. And- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but that was the only person who discouraged me. Nobody in vet school ever discouraged me. That's good. So let's shift a little bit. And so we're, we're a love and life as equine vets, but like anything in life, there's challenges. Not every day can be the best day ever. So uh, Elizabeth, we'll start with you. What was your most challenging day as an equine vet? Uh, November 25th, 2015, we had a fire go through our area. And we there's been some big fires. I happened to be out in California when they had what was called the Valley Fire, which they thought was horrendous and they talked about it and everything. It was 77,000 acres. Obviously the newer fires have eclipsed that. 
But we had a fire. I went home and about a month later, that Valley fire was actually in my old practice area. Um, I was just out visiting. So uh, we had a fire that went through 225,000 acres in five hours. And that's like the size of the fires that you're seeing in California, Northern California, Sonoma County, where I'm from. So there was tens of thousands of animals killed. Fortunately, it's in a low density area and there was two people killed, but that was all. Uh, We don't know how many horses. They can tell you how many sheep and cattle because uh, they counted them, Uh, but they didn't count the horses. My nurse had lost four horses. My secretary lost her house and one horse, and I had several clients lose horses. I was asked to go up into the fire area before it was supposedly allowed, and I said, oh, I don't think I can make it. I got to where they were cutting everybody off, and they went, oh, you're the vet. Go on. So I was taken up to the first place, and there was uh, four, five horses fairly badly burnt, pretty darn badly burnt. And then I was supposed to go straight back out of the fire area, but my nurse is crying and calling me, and my my secretary is actually interstate, and her husband's up there. She can't find him, and she knows one horse is dead, and she knows that there's still two other horses there. She doesn't know what's going on. So instead of going left, I went right and I went up in there and you're not supposed to and all that, but it's really hard to deny because these people are like my family. So I went up in there and I was around up in there. We couldn't, GPS was gone. Everything was gone. I didn't, I hardly had any petrol. I had to uh, take petrol out of ride on mowers and things like that up there because all of the electricity was out. We went around, we dealt with all these horses. I euthanized two. And then I came back. And by the time I went to bed, which was, and this all started around two in the afternoon, the fire did. By the time I went to bed, which was about two in the morning, I had 16 fairly crispy horses at my clinic. We ended up keeping eight. And they stay, those eight stayed on average. Well, uh, most of them stayed for a month to two months. One of them stayed four months. And I learned how to deal with burns and I learned how to deal with incredible pain. And we uh, got a whole bunch of people in to help with these horses, volunteers. It was an ordeal that I never, ever, ever want to go through. I had post-traumatic stress from it. There's no question. I didn't sleep. It was, it was just ongoing. And at night, I lived at my clinic. And so everybody's gone but me. And I would just walk out and look at these horses. And they were in varying states of pain and distress. We never euthanized a single one. Nobody ever stopped eating. And we got them all through it. They're all all still alive. I think one died of colic not too long ago. Hmm. Many of them went back to work. Uh, One of them, only one was really deemed not going to go, or two of them actually. One also had a penetrating um, wound into her carpus, and she never was sound enough. So she got bred and had a foal, and and the other one that couldn't be ridden anymore, she had a foal as well. So that was was really something. (laughs) Oh, well, when, don't when, you, do when, that you, when you knew the date, I was like, oh, this is going to be this is, this is special. <laughs> so yeah. thanks yeah. for sharing. Well, that. I wrote I it. Ima- the good thing was I, I, I didn't know they was trying to slough their feet, their hooves and stuff oh, and all this. Oh, I didn't know what to do. And I'm really good friends with John Madigan. I mean, really, really good friends. And mm-hmm. I called him and he said, 
well, I don't know. He says, I don't know whether they'll stay or not. Who knows? He said, just document everything you do. Mm-hmm. And so I did. We took radiographs. We took pictures all along, everything. And we did write it up and publish it in uh, EVE. And I also know that last year when we had these tremendous fires on the East Coast, that one of the veterinary schools used all the stuff that we did and did it the way we did it and had really good outcomes and and credited us, which was really nice. They did a seminar on it. We had another fire last year as well, and we had a donkey come in, and we used the same techniques, and it worked really well. And so I'm really, you know, I took a real negative into a positive. Lots of people call and use our techniques now for, for burned horses. Thanks you know, for that's sharing. It. That's, uh, that was wow. the biggest one. Yeah, that's, yes, I can understand. Memorable. I know nobody wants to go after this, but uh, Stacey, I'm going to pick on you. What was the, the most challenging day you had as a vet? The day I can think of is, I, and I don't know the date, but it, was, it wasn't even a day of practicing. It was a day of testifying in court. Hmm. And I went to court uh. to testify for the prosecution on a cruelty and neglect case. Hmm. And the prosecutor had not, it was his first animal welfare case. So he hadn't prepped anybody. He hadn't been prepped. And I got handed a copy of the shelter's internal record and was asked to testify off of a record that I had not written. It was supposed to have been just the first 60 days since intake, but he had submitted all of the records. So by the end of testifying, the people who had been on trial for neglect and not feeding had proven that overfeeding horses causes metabolic laminitis. And so they hadn't caused that. The rehab center did that. It was the worst, most awful two, three hours of my life that I literally couldn't, oh you know, like I'm trying to help and it's just making it worse. Like yeah. you didn't give me the tools I needed to fix this. And just it just sucked it just sucked to try and be there to fight for to fight for these animals we love so much and we care about so much and to know your everything's being thwarted right right that was that was a hard day that was a day that i learned a lot about testifying in court i can tell you that for sure. sure but i to not be able to actually help those horses and get get them what they earned and what they deserved Tough, 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 tough. Thanks for sharing. How about yourself, Bibi? How, what was your most challenging day as an equine vet? Okay, so I'm really embarrassed because I couldn't think of a challenging day. Like I could think of challenging things, but... Well, we can go with a challenging thing because um, uh-huh. almost every day, every week, something is really is a head scratcher and some of it is a, a, a punch I, in the gut sometimes. Well, I think the challenging things uh actually we skipped the what was your best day as a vet. Oh, we're gonna get to that and, oh, okay <laughs> so because uh for me the the most challenging has also been the best so uh let me preface that but the most challenging thing that i faced as a young veterinarian uh and i think i've mostly accomplished as uh, an older veterinarian is my working through 
problems and working with my farrier friends. Mm. And I'm a farrier groupie, and we have, as you know, a farrier group that was meeting once a month before COVID, but we're still friends. But I think as a young veterinarian, that was one of my biggest challenges was communicating with my farrier colleagues. Yeah. But I never had an experience like Elizabeth had or, you know. uh, You're young. Don't worry. It'll happen. (laughs) I'm 63. Uh, I'm not that much younger than. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Wow. You look younger. Uh, Yeah, a little bit younger. But I just never have had like that big experience like Elizabeth had. I guess. Uh, But um, most of my challenges were communication, either with new clients or with farriers, I would Mm -hmm. say. And how about yourself, Kathy? What has been the most challenging day for yourself? I do a little bit of repro work for a ranch that raises thoroughbreds. And and so they called me in the middle of the night one night and they were like, "Uh, I think this mare needs to be put to sleep. She's having uh, dystocia. So I went up there and... They had been trying to um, just pull the foal and it, its head was turned back. And it was just a nightmare, but it was, and it, it was like two in the morning. So uh, thanks to my small animal emergency training, I was awake, but we, we did all sorts of things to try and to deliver the foal. And, you know, I had, uh, offered to do a C-section and it was just, in the end, they wind up putting the mare to sleep and it was just the most God awful thing. It's just, I don't think I've recovered from it. And it's like been three or four years ago. Other than that, you know, you get a day where you get us, I call them colic clouds. Like when it gets, we get like monsoon around August, a lot of the horses don't drink enough water out here. And so I'll get like three or four colic calls in one day. And, and those are challenging, but you know, most of the time you can, they're impaction colics and, and you can, you can deal with that. But it, it's the things like that, you know, or the, the animal or the foal you're trying to save and, and it winds up dying. The, those are the things um, sure. that stick with me. And then, um, you know, the San Luis Ray fire was, was horrifying. I'm a little bit further up from there and they had plenty of help, but it was just awful to watch that and not be able to to help with the animals down there. You know, it was just, uh, that was a a nightmare, like a, like a fire, like Elizabeth, like you went through and, you know, it just happened so fast and, and it it was just, uh, it weighs on you, even especially if you can't help, you know, you Mm want to be there to help. And if you can't do it, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So on, on the flip side, what was your, your best day as an equine vet? Yeah, for my acupuncture clients, I, I drove up one day and I was working on this horse. He had done something to himself in the stall and he, he did like a split. And I think he had some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of deep muscle tear. And I'd been working on it for a couple of weeks. And I remember I drove up and they had him on the hot walker because they knew I was coming. And he looked at me in my truck and he just whinnied hello at me. And I was just like, I can't believe this. Mm. Like, you know, the horse is glad to see me. You know, a lot of times you drive up in the vet truck and they're like, "Uh oh, here comes the vet with all the the vaccinations. But that that was pretty cool. I I really enjoyed that. That's great. How about yourself, Stacey? What was your best day as an equine vet? (laughs) It's funny that Kathy mentioned the acupuncture thing because I was going to mention one of my chiropractic patients because I work on, I have several true working ranch horses that I work on. 
And there was a day this winter that I, I had shoulder surgery last year and couldn't adjust for about four or five months. And so some of, most of my working ranch horses hadn't gotten anything while I was gone. So wasn't surprised they were a bit of a mess when they came in. And one of them was a kind of young horse and he's a big spook. Like, it's like, how does this horse work and do work all day long? Cause he's like scared of the entire planet most of the time, <laughs> but um, you know, and he'd always mm-hmm. been that way, but he hadn't been bad in the, you know, hadn't been bad for me before or anything, just kind of a spook and leery. Well, he, his owner said, you know, he's been real bad with his pole lately. I can't really bridle him very good. I'm like, okay, whatever. Not a big surprise. Took a long time to get him adjusted, but got him adjusted and went and worked on another horse. And the client says, all right, I believe your hocus pocus now. Wait, what? <laughs> I've been paying for this for months, months. And he's like, yeah, but I haven't been able to touch this horse's ear in six weeks. Okay. Uh, All right. I'm glad you believe it. I didn't think much about it. Kind (laughs) of laughed at him, finished the other horse. Now I'd said this horse is a bit of a spook, right? Well, six weeks later, this horse who has spooked at everything coming in, doesn't really like standing for Cairo, but stands because he's told to, he literally gets off the trailer, sees the bales, walks into the clinic pretty much on his own, stands between him, doesn't move a foot. Oh, that's, that's amazing. That's like, awesome. I love it. Please that's great. Thing. Please do the thing. And it oh, was like, wow. yeah, days like fix that. Fix my back. Like, yeah, fix my shoulder. Me. You trust me. You know, I made you feel better. Those are the days that are like, yep, yep. That's why we do They're this. They're great. Those are the that's days. awesome. Perfect. That, love that. That's really a cool story. So, BB, how about yourself? What's been your best day as an equine? Well, I was. Uh, at a, a little farm and I had sedated a couple of wild little bad donkeys for a farrier. And after he trimmed the donkeys, we were standing under a shade tree talking and he was telling me about a recent farrier uh, clinic he had been to. And he was showing me the handouts and talking about how he cared about his profession. And then he, he was telling me about, a colleague of mine that had fair meetings once a month about three hours away and would I like to go? And I said, sure. So he and three other fairs and I went uh, to the next meeting and we, on our way home, we decided we could do the same thing. And that was 2009. And since then we've been having monthly meetings until COVID hit, uh, we haven't had one since March, but, but I would say I would consider that the best day ever. Uh, not cause that was such a great, I mean, it was a good feeling. Don't get me wrong, but it started this community mm-hmm. of veterinarians and farriers in our area. And after we started meeting and having we meet once a month. We charge the clients $200. That includes all the radiographs, the shoeing, everything. And that money goes into a community checking account that we use to subsidize clinics with clinicians like Grant Moon and Luke Prue and Steve O'Grady. And uh, so we've really educated ourselves through this 
meetings. So that day, sitting under the shade tree with that one farrier kind of has a big impact on me. That's a great story. That's awesome. Awesome. Elizabeth, yourself, I'll leave you with the last word on the best day as an equine vet. Well, gosh, how do you pick it? I would say, well, the first one was I did a standing flank uh, laparotomy on a horse that the people didn't have any money. And I actually did an enterotomy and pulled out an enterolith that's a little bit bigger than a softball. And the horse And I, they, they, I credit myself. They credit the fact that their entire church prayed for the horse. That was, that was like, the, I did That's that my you. first year out of vet school, but wow. you know, I, I, I oh, worked right. in vet school. So it, it was in my dad's practice, but, but my, my new favorite is this last Sunday. I'm 69 years old. I just had my elbow injected and I went out and I did it a dystocia. And I had to put chains on and everything, and we got a live fallout. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. oh my oh, God. Oh, yay. I dreaded yay. doing this because I'm so old now. I did so many of them. And last year, I had no successes, none. I mean, it was one disaster after another. Now, you know, they were long gone. They were long gone before I got there for the sure. most part. But I thought, oh, please, Lord, don't let me do that. I've got a few months to go. Please, no, no dystocias. And of course, it was mm-hmm. it was a frozen semen mare that I'd done, and mm. a huge, gigantic mare, gigantic, gigantic foal, and I got it out. And so that was that. I thought, okay, that's enough. Please don't let me give another one. I should quit today. Oh, congratulations! To you. <laughs> well done. Yes. Well, done. awesome. So let's let's talk about we've talked about the ups and the downs and boy the downs can be down, um, mm. and, and as the stories we've just been hearing the ups can be up too. But this this could be a, a pretty um, engrossing job career profession. So what do we do to recharge? How do we keep ourselves revitalized? You know, there's a lot of talk about work life balance, work life integration, but you know you need to do something to invigorate. So I'm going to start with Lily as a student because. Being a student is pretty tough too. So I'd, I'd love to hear as you as a student, what do you do to keep your your head on straight to keep going? <laughs> well, I'd argue that my head is not on straight <laughs> lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually think that, that it's been sort of a journey through vet school. Um, and as I sort of transition between this, this life of being a student to becoming a practitioner, I see this this path open up before me and um, how I manage my time and um, I've become a lot more successful at it. It was sort of this big black hole of study, study, study first and second year. And now I make very clear boundaries around my time. And those boundaries, I would say, are my biggest point to recharge when I'm here on campus and I'm on in clinics, you know, and with my patients, I'm here and I'm working. Um, And when I go home and I'm with my husband, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, you know, I'm a dog mom, I garden a lot. My neighbors see me in the garden just digging around all the time. And I have a horse, which uh, coincidentally, I see all the time. Good (laughs) for you. I'm not, (laughs) you know, I'm not a small animal person, but granted, um, you know, I don't horse show. She's, I bought her as an eight month old full uh, first year, actually. And I thought, well, but I'm not going to have enough time to do anything with this. I'll just throw it in the field and look at it. But I will go out and hike with her and, um, you know, sit in her field and we'll picnic and 
that's that's really been my like moment of in silence is getting to go out and see my horse in the capacity of just another person who loves their horse and a horse, which kind of brings me back to being that kid again, right? Sure. Coming back to that center of the happy child is like what brings it all back for me. Wonderful. How about yourself, Kathy? How do you recharge? Well, um, we have a a 10-acre property out here in Southern California that's kind of rural, and you can probably hear my dog barking in the background, so I'll hang out with the husband and the dogs. Uh, We have a couple of sheep, so that's always fun, you know, messing around with them and seeing the lambs, Um, you know, and we're right below the Pacific Crest Trail, so we can go hiking anytime we want, so pretty much that, yeah. How about yourself, Stacey? I think for me, one of the big pieces of it is that I am lucky enough to be in a group that we work four day work weeks. So I always have Thursday, except this week, ironically, because I screwed it up because of a horse show. <laughs> but I always have my Thursday. I get to do my thing on Thursday. But one of those things for me is I ride too. And I, I'm lucky enough that I have a horse that I quote lease that I can show. Uh, and then I have a two year old that will eventually my homemade, you know, my, my rescue kid who will hopefully be a show horse and riding horse someday too, but they really are They're Why I do this, but that's my checkout. That's my recharge is peace out and do that on a midday week. Wonderful. And how about yourself, Elizabeth? How do you recharge? Power nap. It's a gift. Yeah. I can do five minutes and I'm ready. I'm ready to go again. I, I do it all the time. Literally, maybe twice a day, I'll just go and sit in this chair that I'm sitting in now, sleep, and then I'm I'm just ready to go again. Yeah. But other than that, I like to fly fish and writing now. I'll just go in and just leave everybody and go maybe write a, a couple pages of whatever I'm writing. I, I'm kind of a workaholic. I'm old school. I'm 24-7. I'm always on call. But during COVID, people haven't been calling this much at night, so it's been pretty good getting ugly now but um it has been really nice over the last few months mm, great. and yeah. i'm i don't need a lot of recharging i need um you know five minutes of a nap and i'm kind of ready to go hey i'm when i'm with you power naps are the best i, I know I, it's a gift yeah. it's they have yeah. a CE on that somewhere that i could maybe take Oh man! <laughs> I, yeah. I have to say it, Mike. It's an older people's thing. I, I, <laughs> no, my dad. I, my dad could do it, and and I do it, and it's just wonderful. God, it's wonderful. Oh, it's a great one. I've been driving, and you're exhausted. And you're driving to the next call. Yeah. Maybe you're ahead of time. I'm like, I'm going to pull over somewhere, put the seat yeah. back in the car. Five yeah. minutes, and you're like starting the day all over again. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. For sure. It is a drug. It's it's an absolute drug. Yeah, no, it's good. And, and BB, finally with you, because I'm, I'm I, as well, I said, I, I have my vicarious life when I look at what she does on Facebook. So I want to hear your you story to know, recharge. You kind of know what I do to recharge. So I play the banjo. I am a remedial banjo player. But to sit in a circle of my friends, I think I've already told you, I am sick with love for horses. But to recharge, I sit in a circle of friends who don't own horses. They don't talk about horses. They have stringed instruments. I have a banjo. They have fiddles, guitars, basses, mandolins. And we play tunes, tell jokes and stories. That recharges me 
and and we hike together too. Mm-hmm. We camp and hike together. But I also That's have great. a little horse that is an old lady's horse that I can take lessons on. So I recharge both equestrian related and I also exit the equestrian world completely and play music. That's a good jokes. practice. Love that. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so uh, it's fun. Great. Last question for the group, and I'm going to go in the order of when we started, and I'm going to leave the last word for Lily as a student. But Elizabeth, what advice would you give students or new grads about choosing the right practice, setting yourself on the right path to success as an equine vet? For me, one of the things that that it took me a long time to figure it out, but I did figure it out is that my motto is I choose to be happy. And I'll tell you what, it's hard work sometimes. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is, is that you, I would pick somebody, I would, I would work for somebody who's older because they're not going to be as needy to, they don't need to do everything themselves and, and set you aside. They're willing to let you uh, go out and take a challenge and, you know, suture up a horse and, and do some things that that they normally held near and dear to themselves, but also that they have a sense of humor and they have a sense of forgiving um, because you are going to make mistakes. God knows I've made a bazillion. Um, So if you can find somebody that, that does have a sense of humor and that is willing to let you have a go, I think, and also teach you, and forgive you for your trespasses, mm-hmm. uh, then I think that's something that I would, if I was young again, I would be looking for. Um, I went into practice right out of school with somebody that it didn't work out. And so I went to my dad's practice and he, he didn't say it, but he thought, oh man, we really need a vet right now. But damn, should we take a girl on? You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what he was thinking. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty. I was very lucky in that it was my dad, and and deep down, eventually, he was he was the perfect person mentor for me. I mean, he mentored me right up till he died. I mean, a couple weeks before he died, I showed him some pictures of some neurological horses, and he didn't know what it was, but boy, he was so interested in it and just loved everything. But somebody that wants to boost you up and promote you, I think that's big. And how do you figure that out when you're interviewing? I don't know. I have no idea. But if they have a sense of humor, I think it's a good start. For sure. How about yourself, Kathy? Well, what I would, uh, it's kind of based on what Elizabeth was saying, but pragmatically make sure if you're picking a practice, you want to ride with the the vets there. Uh, If it's a multiple doctor practice, try and ride with all of the vets. And then one thing that I think that I wish I had known when I picked my first practice is like, look around, see how many techs and support staff they have. If they don't have any that's kind of a big red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and then see, are they part-time? Are they full-time? How many years have they been there? And the biggest thing that helped me when I was interviewing for practices was talk to the technicians mm. and see what they think or the outgoing interns and see what they think. Because you can gather a lot of, uh, I would have saved a lot of time if I had talked to the, the intern that was exiting before I took the job. So that, that would be my advice to you. Yeah, that's a great one. How about yourself, Stacey? What advice would you give? 
one of the big things is to really decide if take out the picture of you know what the the practice looks like on paper and write down before you even go there why you think that wouldn't even make sense in the first place because everything sounds great when you read an advertisement but if you want to go there because of the location well then look at all of the practices in that location or if you want to go there because it's a group practice, we'll look at all of the other groups that have openings and make sure that the one you're really interested in is the right fit for the reason you're interested in it and all the other reasons. Yeah. I think great that's advice. a big piece of it. No, great advice. And how about yourself, Bibi? When I'm talking to my student mentees, I tell them to be sure that the practice has like I had one mentee that was super interested in sport horse medicine. So I guided her toward those kinds of practices. She ended up in, in a great place. She's happy. Another one is just now graduating and applying. And uh, she, she's been accepted at three very large practices in United States. And I told her to the same thing, look at the way they, they treat their interns and clients. And the person I hired as my associate came from an internship at Rudin Riddle. And he did two working internships with me and told me, he said, I just want to work for a practice where every medical decision is not based on the value of the horse. And I would like raised my hand. That's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you can't, you can't blame people who have to make those decisions. For sure. Yeah. But my practice is more of a companion animal practice really. Mm-hmm. So. Wonderful. So the last words for you, Lily, you've been listening to um, some more experienced veterinarians or uh, different experiences. So after listening to this conversation, what are your thoughts? What are you going to take away? Because I mean, this is this is really geared these podcasts for in this subject of podcasts for young vets, uh, students who are sort of pondering, you know, should I go into equine or not? So what is your take home from all this? I actually wholeheartedly agree with everything that was said. And it's honestly very validating because a lot of it is what I was going to say. I always tell people, uh, get a therapist and learn about yourself. I'm a huge proponent of mental health and awareness about yourself. And as much as you're trying to learn about the practice you want to go to, understand what it is about you as a person outside of academics and your career that makes you tick. So for me, that was asking hard questions like, what are my values? What matters to me? What gives me a sense of purpose and joy and satisfaction? And then what doesn't? So, you know, what kind of clients do I want to have? What do I want that relationship to look like? Um, And I also know that I, I personally have a learning disorder. So for me, any place I went to needed to have a really strong mentorship program with a lot of structure. And I know how to circumvent my learning disorder, but if there wasn't going to be somebody who understood me um, and was going to be patient with me and um, make room for me to learn the way I need to, uh, then it wasn't going to be a good fit for either one of us. And we'd just be frustrated 
no matter how successful that initial meeting had gone. Uh, so my best interviews were with practices that I was very straightforward with. And I sat down and very politely and elegantly kind of said, I really love your practice. I've had great experiences here. I've visited on externships multiple times to demonstrate my interest. But these are things about me. Uh, I need structure. I really like to make goals. I like to have a mentor to go to. Are these things that your practice offers? Uh, and if not, you know, I don't think it will be a good fit. And they were overwhelmed with how like joyful they were. They were really grateful for that clear distinction um, and understanding of myself because they felt that they were getting an applicant that knew themselves and would come in with like a clear mind and an understanding of what was being asked of them. And that's honestly what I aim to do uh, as I transition sort of into the workforce and, and become a clinician. So I guess that would be my advice is to get to know yourself and um, whether that's to make a real list on paper or just sit and kind of contemplate it. What is it about you that you really want practices to value and what do you value yourself? Well stated. I would I just want to thank you all. These are some great stories. Um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster emotionally listening to some of the ups and downs of some of them. And I am going to be one of the first people that buys your book, Elizabeth, because those are some yeah. good. Wow. Um, yes. Anyway, thank you all very much. And I, I hope people who are listening to this uh, can sense the passion and the joy and the determination that you all have. So, uh, Wonderful chatting with you all again, and I'm sure our paths will cross. This is a small world, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you all in person sometime soon, I hope. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing all this. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. As the global leader in equine health, Boehringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boehringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting bi-vetmedica.com.